There's something that I know about every person in this room, and that is that you are either coming out of what you might call a storm of life, you're smack in the middle, or you're going to be in a storm someday. One of those three criteria apply to you. And perhaps you're saying, Pastor Mark, I'm checking all three boxes. I just got out of one. I'm smack in the middle of one, and I know that there's another one coming. You see, we don't get to we don't get to bypass the storms of life. We don't get to uh, to go around them. And and so wherever you are in that, uh, I believe this is a message that will encourage you. We're going to talk about it more in the context of our series and standing firm in the fire. Storms of life and the fires of life come around us. And what we do in those moments matters disproportionately to what we do when everything's going well and all of our relationships are perfect and there's plenty of money in the bank and our health is good and our kids are doing the right thing and making the right decisions and you go on down the list. What we do in the fire, what we do in the storms of life and our response to those circumstances and whether or not we choose to be afraid or say, I am the Lord's, I know. Even in the midst of this, I am the Lord's, I know. Our response in those moments matters, and it matters a great deal. We're wrapping up this series that we've been titling Stand, and we've been looking at different times that we stand, standing up for God, standing out from the crowd, standing strong in the face of persecution or difficulty, standing in faith, and today standing firm. In the fire. Now, our emphasis throughout this series has been on standing up for the right things at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reasons. And the focus has been on right, that we want to make sure we're standing up for the right things at the right times, in the right ways, for the right reasons. Because when we do, it has the potential to change a life, to change a family, to change a community, to even change the world, as we've seen time and again in the life of Daniel. He didn't just stand for the right thing in the wrong way or at the right time, but for the wrong reasons. He got it right consistently. And he illustrated last week this idea that our approach to prayer must shift away from getting God to do what we want and towards getting us to do what God wants. Getting us to do what God wants. God doesn't want us to compromise on these areas that really matter, and he doesn't want us to stand up but in the wrong way or at the wrong time. He wants us to get this right. And as we stay in daily relationship with him, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in the word, as we spend time in fellowship, as we spend time in worship, all of these things tend to come together and merge into one, and we have a faith that can stand in the storm, that can stand firm in the fire. So today we're looking at that, and today we're talking about these fires and these storms of life. And as I was preparing the message, my mind went to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're going to start there. We're going to start there. And Peter knew something about fires. He knew something about trials. He, he knew something about standing firm, even when everyone around him was cutting and running. He did a little cutting and running himself, didn't he? 
And yet he was restored and his relationship with Christ was restored and he became one of the central figures in the early church and had opportunity after opportunity to compromise and had opportunity after opportunity to stand. And here's what he wrote near the end of his life in 1 Peter chapter 1, a letter that he wrote that was broadly circulated among the various churches that had been popping up around the Mediterranean rim. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. This is a pretty good run-on sentence that he's got here, so let's pause right here and see what he is saying. He's talking about this great mercy that God has given to us, and through that great mercy, he's given us new birth. We're a new creation, and we're into a living hope. Even though Christ died, there was a living hope that he would resurrect, that he would return, and he did that, and he will return again. And we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us, where moth does not eat and where rust does not destroy. Who, through faith, are shielded by God's power. He's saying, this is kept in heaven for you, you and you and you, all of you, who, through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So there is a final act of salvation when Christ returns to this earth and ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. That is where we set our hope, not in today, not in this finite life that we live. We put our hope in him. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, in all kinds of fires, in all kinds of storms. Even though you've had to suffer, don't miss this in verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. So these fires, these storms, these trials of life have come so that your faith, your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. That is good news. That is good news. And that sets the stage for the passage that we will look at in Daniel chapter 3. And it sets the stage for our big idea or our bottom line for today's message. I'm going to give it to you early and then we'll come back to it at the end. We see it here in Peter's uh, letter to the churches and we'll see it illustrated perfectly in Daniel chapter 3. But the bottom line today is that a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. That as our faith gets tested, as we go through trials and our faith stands firm and the dross and the impurities are burned away and what remains is pure and rich as our faith is tested, it can be trusted more and more, not just for ourselves, but for the world around us that's watching, that's watching us go through these fires, that's watching us, even though they don't believe, they know that there's something different about us and they're watching us in the storms of life and they're watching us stand firm in the fire and they're finding that as that faith gets tested, it can be trusted. And they can trust the object of your faith. And many people come to faith in Christ because they watch somebody go through a difficult circumstance. 
And they watch the way they go through that difficult circumstance, and it opens a door for a conversation and for somebody to witness and for a person to come to faith in Christ. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3 together as we uh, continually uh, or, or continue to, to look at this idea that faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Now, if you've been to every week uh, this, this series, then good for you. I don't know that there's a lot of people that can say that. Summer pulls us in a lot of different directions. If you miss a week, we've always got our website and podcast where you can go and listen to a message that you might have missed. Um, but you know we've been sort of marching through Daniel. We started in chapter 1 and then chapter 4 and then chapter 10. I think we backed up to chapter 6 last week, and now we're continuing that journey back into Daniel chapter 3, a fairly familiar story. And as I've said with these more familiar stories from the Old Testament, try to pretend you've never heard this before. Try to ask God to give you fresh ears that don't bring into it what you've seen or heard from children's stories, but to hear this again for the first time. I'll read the first six verses here. Uh, we're back with King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, remember, he was a really bad dude. He had done a lot of really bad things and, and had really tried to annihilate the Hebrew people and destroy Jerusalem and, and take the sacred articles out of the temple and use them in his, in his own temples and just did a lot of really bad stuff. So here's where we pick up with, uh, with, with that in the first six verses of Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, you got the point. They all came and assembled for the dedication of the image that he had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. How many of you have heard this one? Lots of you, lots of you. So you see where this is going, even if you haven't heard this story, you can see where this is going. And before we dive into that, I want to just get a little bit of context of what a 90-foot high statue overlaid in gold would be like in this time in the world, all right? This room is about 90 feet wide. So imagine something nine stories high, standing Bigger than the doorways, the double doors that you came in, that would be about six by six. So bigger than that. And the entire thing is overlaid with gold. So no matter what side you approach it from, you see this massive, massive statue standing in the middle of the plain, overlaid in gold. The sun is reflecting off of it. It's probably blinding if the sun is behind you. And, and you cannot miss it. And it's quite a spectacle to see. And the command is made that, that when the music starts, when the instruments start, you better hit the deck and you better worship. You better worship that image. And this sets the stage for what we're going to call three qualities of standing firm in the fire. Three qualities of standing firm in the fire. Because, of course, these Hebrew boys... They've got a decision to make. Are they going to bow and worship the image, or are they going to stand firm? 
And there is a fire that awaits them if they choose to stand firm. Well, the first of the three qualities of standing firm is that faith obeys God over following man. Faith obeys God over following man. Now, when, when God and the rules of man are moving in the same direction, this is really easy. When the rules of man tell you to do something that is patently against the rules of God, you have a decision to make. Faith obeys God over obeying man. And let's see what they do. Uh, In verses 7 through 12, I won't read it because it gets real repetitive, but as you can imagine, the musical instruments start playing. Everybody hits the deck, and there's these three Hebrew boys that are still standing there. They choose. They stand firm. They follow the rules of God. They follow God's ways rather than man's ways. They had pre-decided. They didn't have a decision to make in the moment. They pre-decided that they were going to stand firm. And let's read 13 through 16 together. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the instruments... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Let's let's push pause there. I love that. Line, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We have predecided. This really doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with us and the commitments that we've made. They did not need to weigh the pros and cons. They didn't need to think about it. They didn't need to post it on Facebook and ask their friends, what would you do in this situation? Or would you go ahead and bow? Or would you stand firm? They didn't have to do any of that. They didn't need to pray about it. They didn't say, you know what? Sit the pause button. We're going to go pray. We're going to come back and give you our answer. They don't need to defend themselves. They don't need to really respond to it in any way. Their plan from the beginning was obedience to God rather than following this edict. And before we move on, I want you to think for just a minute about how easy it would have been to rationalize this. You know, every time that you're given an opportunity to stand firm, you're also given an opportunity to compromise. And they could have easily just, you know, faked it. Okay, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and bow, but we won't we won't really pray. We won't really worship. We'll bow and we'll pray to God. That's what we'll do. Or, you know, we'll do it, but we'll ask forgiveness later because God's going to understand. You know, if we die, who's going to carry on? Who's going to be, you know, I mean, we can't we can't lose our lives here. We're like the witness to God. They had all kinds of opportunities to compromise, all kinds of opportunities to to bend the knee or to give in. And I think this is illustrative of the idea that that when you're committed to serving God, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to compromise on that. You're going to have all kinds of opportunities to try to hide your faith or to to try to hide the commitments that you've made to him or to try to, to just keep your mouth shut. And when you choose to follow him, you're also going to have all kinds of opportunities to stand for him, to stand for him. But that leads us to the second quality of standing firm. The second quality of standing firm 
is that faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. And these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they can see the fiery furnace at this point because it says they're going to be immediately thrown into it. Not, you know, we'll carry you back and do that some point in the future. It's immediate. They can see it. They can see the image. They can see all the people that got down and bowed down and, and worshiped the image. And they believe in spite of what they see. They hadn't read the rest of Daniel chapter 3. They didn't know how the story ends. They hadn't TiVo'd it. You ever done that with a football game? You know, you can't meet at the football game, so you TiVo the football game, and then you try to tell all your friends, don't tell me who won, don't tell me who won, don't tell me. Somebody spills the beans, and your team's down three touchdowns at halftime, and you're just not worried at all because you know who won the game. They don't have that benefit of knowing how the story ends. In the thick of the moment, they are right there making a decision. They can see the fire. They can see the image. They can see all the people around them. They can see the king of Babylon, who's the most powerful man in the world at this point. And they choose to believe in spite of what? they see, not knowing what would happen. So let's read verse 17 together. It'll be on the screen as well. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, they say, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. The God that they don't see, that they put their faith in, that they believe in, they know that he is able to rescue them. Their faith believes in spite of what it sees. And their faith says, no matter what I see with my physical eyes, my faith tells me God is able. God is able. It's not as big a deal to us when we know how the story ends, but it's a really big deal when you're standing there in that moment. And so wherever this rubber meets the road for you in your life right now, keep in mind that faith believes in spite of of what it sees. So whether that's a bad medical report and it doesn't look good and there's all kinds of opportunities to be afraid or there's a broken relationship and things aren't working the way that you want them to right now and you're frustrated and you're tempted to lose hope or maybe it's a financial difficulty that just won't seem to go away and the bank account never seems to to grow. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in an ultimate healing. So even in the midst of troubling medical news, you know that there is an ultimate healing that will take place at the end of your life. If you are in Christ, then you will be ushered into eternity with him. And there will be no pain, and there will be no sorrow, and there will be no tears, and all will be well for eternity. Or you know that this relationship, though it looks challenging right now, and everything we see looks bad right now, that this is a snapshot in the movie. This is a snapshot in the movie of your life, and there is time for redemption, and there is reason to hope, and there is opportunity for transformation and for things to change. You see, the faith that believes in spite of what it sees approaches every situation as a win-win. Every situation becomes win-win. Even, even the medical diagnosis that you have weeks or months to live is win-win because it's just like Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, Christ will be glorified in and through my life. And if I die, then I get to go and be with him. Every situation becomes win-win when we have a faith 
that stands firm in the fire because it believes in spite of what it sees. And it requires us to take on a, 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 an eternal perspective. A perspective that's not so focused on this little dash that is our life, but has got the eternal perspective of God who was forever and who is forever and who has made provision for us to be with him forever. We forget about that sometimes. We get so focused down here that we forget to look up and see the bigger picture. And so you might say, that's all really great, Pastor Mark, but what if, what if I don't get what I've been praying for? What if God doesn't do what I'm praying for? What if I put myself in their shoes and they do throw me into the fire, which actually happens? That leads us to the third point. That's this, that faith understands that obedience is up to us. And the outcomes are up to God. Obedience is up to us. And the outcomes of that obedience are up to God. Standing firm in the faith is up to us. Doing it in the right way at the right time for the right reasons is up to us. The outcomes of that are up to God. And he can manage them far better than we can. And so when we read verse 18, we see the outcome of this. And we see the faith that they have, the faith that understands that the obedience is up to them and the outcomes are up to God. Here's what verse 18 says. But even if he does not save us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They had a faith that could stand firm in the fire because they understood that the outcomes were up to God and that they could trust him with the outcomes. And then we read the resolution of this story in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, last week we talked about these images or these visitations or these, uh, these times when Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, comes into the world, into human reality, into this example. This is another example of that. We call him a Christophany, Christ, Christophany, view or see. So when you have an epiphany, it's when you suddenly see something new. That's the fanny part. Don't get hung up on fanny. But you could use Christophany next time you're in Bible study and, and there's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. You go, oh, this is a Christophany. And everybody will say, Christophany? What's a Christophany? And you'll say, oh, you know, it's when Jesus Christ showed up in the Old Testament and people had an image or a vision or, or some experience with him and they'll think, wow, you're really smart. You must have gone to seminary. So Christophany, really good word. But it illustrates that Jesus is with them in the fire and he's with you in the fire. 
Jesus is with them in their trial. Jesus is with them in the storms of life. Jesus is with you in your trials, in your storms. He promised one of the very last words that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, in the King James Version. Or, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. I will be with you on the mountaintops, and I will be with you in the valleys. I will be with you. I will be with you. In fact, he promised to send the Holy Spirit to live within us and to live through us and to be that tangible expression of the divine in our lives, individually and corporately. And that's what we're going to be looking at next. I'm excited about a new sermon series we'll be launching next week called Supernatural. And we'll be looking at the activity and the role of the Holy Spirit in our Christian life. And we'll be looking at opportunities that the Spirit, the same Spirit that's in you and you and you and you is in me. And that gives us opportunities for supernatural unity and supernatural prayer and supernatural faith and supernatural worship. And so, as always, this can be a great opportunity to invite somebody to church. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series. It's on the Holy Spirit. You should come. And maybe, just maybe, they'll take the invitation. I say this over and over because I really firmly believe that it's true for every single one of you that somebody you know is kind of hoping that somebody they know will invite them to church. Be that person. Invite somebody to church. Invite them to come and be a part of our family and family. So that's what's coming up next week. But I want to I use this, this story in the way that it results to underscore really important concept, and that's this, that you can see God's power in many places, but you'll know his presence best in the fire. You can see God's power from the mountaintops when everything's going well. You can see examples of God's power, but you will know his presence best when he comes alongside you in the fire, when he comes alongside you in the troubles of life, when he comes alongside you in the storm. And he is there, and he is with you, and he is for you. And you can see his power in many places, but you will know his presence best in the fire. And I find it interesting that the bonds are burned away by the fire. And I I think that this is symbolic. I think that this is profound. That they were tied up and they were thrown into this fire, and they couldn't get up and walk around while they were tied up unless the fire had burned away the bonds, had burned away the cords that they were bound with. The fire had set them free. It's a powerful example of all things working together for good. And sometimes in the midst of the fire or in the midst of the storm or in the midst of the trial, we can't see how anything good would come from it. And in this case, what had bound them got burned away by the fire that they were thrown into in a literal sense. But I think it illustrates a a powerful uh, illustration of all things working together for good. And that the fire burned away what was going to hold them back. And maybe you can think of times in your life when you went through a trial, when you went through a storm, when you went through a fire of life, and you couldn't see how anything good would come from it. And yet, looking back on it, you can see how you weren't delivered from that, but you were delivered through that. Whatever that storm was, whatever that trial was, whatever that fire was. And maybe in the midst of our trials and our storms and our fires, we can pray a prayer that says, Lord, if you don't deliver me from it, I trust you to deliver me through it. 
that maybe there's something in my life that needs to get burned away. Maybe there's something that's holding me back figuratively that will be burned away through this storm. Some pride or some ego or some, some addiction or some other thing that's holding me back. A faulty worldview. You, you fill in the blank and it will be burned away through this. If you don't deliver me from it, I pray and I trust that you will deliver me through it. Have you ever heard how steel is refined and transformed? It's a really neat analogy or illustration of what we're talking about here. If you take a pound of common iron ore, it's not worth that much. Even a ton isn't worth that much. But if you heat it up and you begin to burn away the different impurities, you can get to what they call carbon steel. Carbon steel is hard. It's less likely to rust and corrode and all of those different things. You keep working on it. You keep heating it up. You keep burning away impurities. You can get to stainless steel, stainless steel that doesn't tarnish at all, that doesn't rust at all, that is strong and is durable and is of increasing value. And then you keep working with it. You keep heating it up and you keep making it more and more pure and more and more valuable and you machine it. You can get to, you can get to these tiny little springs that you find in a Rolex watch. What do you think a pound of those is worth? Millions. And so these fires that are very uncomfortable, let's not pretend that they aren't uncomfortable. These fires that we go through refine us. They move away. They burn away the impurities. They burn away the things that hold us back. And they they result in that which is of increasing value, as Peter said. And so let's look at the result. Let's look at the, the falling action, if you will. We've seen the climax. Here's the falling action. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See how he identifies them now? Come out. Come here. So they came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses burned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Now, let's just, if I could edit the Bible, I might take that little section out, you know, because that doesn't seem like that really furthers the purposes of God. But in his mind, he was making an edict, and his edict is pointed in the right direction. We don't want to be, you know, don't stand firm in the fire so that you can burn down the houses of your enemies, all right? Let's not get muddy there. But don't miss the point. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, they stood firm, and as a result... God received glory and praise because of their courage, because they had the courage to stand firm in the fire and to do it in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. And God received glory. And over and over, we will have opportunities to stand, to stand firm. And we must do it in such a way that God ultimately receives the glory. Let's go back to 1 Peter And let's go back to verse 7. 
These have come, these trials, these storms, these fires, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Perfect illustration of it happening in the lives of these young boys. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. And as we stand firm in the fire, let us remember that faith obeys God rather than following man, that faith believes in spite of what it sees, and that faith realizes that obedience is up to us and the results are up to God. As we transition now from a time of of looking into God's word to a time of responding. We're going to respond to today's message by receiving communion together, by participating in the Lord's Supper together. And I can't help but make the connection between Christ standing in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Christ standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling before God, sweating great drops of blood, going through the ultimate fire, the ultimate difficulty, the ultimate trial, And standing firm for us in the face of the cross, in the face of crucifixion. Standing firm for us and dying for us. And so let that thought be on your mind as we participate in the Lord's Supper today. And may it well up in gratitude within your heart. A couple of things you need to know, especially if you're newer here, we serve an open communion at Linwood. That means that you don't have to have your name on a membership role in order to participate in communion if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you can fulfill his only requirement, which was as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. If you can participate in this in remembrance of him and what he has done for you, then you are welcome to participate with us. If you have children with you or young children, they are welcome at the table as well, as long as they understand and you are confident that they understand the significance of this and are able to partake in the elements in a worthy manner, then they are welcome with us as well. After I pray, I'll invite you to come down and and you can come down the center aisle. Uh, From here, you go come down and come across and back this way. You two sections will come down the middle aisle and return to the outside. This far section, come down on that side, receive the elements, and return to your seats. Please hold the elements until all have been served and so that we can come back and partake of them together. And also, if you require gluten-free, we have gluten-free communion available in an individually wrapped uh, wafer on each, uh, on each plate as well. Will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for you are good. And you have shown us so clearly today that you are with us in the fire and you empower us to stand firm. And our desire is that praise, glory, and honor will come to you through that. And now, Lord, as we take a small piece of bread that represents your body, broken and bruised for us and nailed to a cross, and we take a small cup of juice that represents your blood that was spilled for us, the blood of the new covenant, help us to reflect, help us to consider 
the significance of this and help us to confess anything that may have come between us and you, anything that might be inhibiting our relationship with you. And may we enjoy the restoration of that relationship. May we enjoy communion with you today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.